You're listening to the Hockey Podcast Network. New shows every day. Find us at thehockeypodcastnetwork.com or wherever you get your podcasts from. Welcome to the San Jose Hockey Now podcast, your trusted source for all things San Jose Sharks on the Hockey Podcast Network. My name is Nick Flora. Joining me as always this late Thursday night, beautiful Thursday night, unless you're a Giants fan, Shang Peng, editor-in-chief of San Jose Hockey Now, and of course, my co-host. Well, it's a pretty good day if you're from L.A. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think we just soiled everyone's morning. Wow, well, no, I think the uh, first base umpire sold every soiled everyone's <laughs> last night and morning. But uh, can't admit that was a bad call. Yeah, the, he did not go. Um, even an A's fan and an a, a Angels fan sitting here in agreement on a call against the <laughs> with the Giants and Dodgers game. But um, I digress. Welcome to the San Jose Hockey Now podcast, where we don't talk about baseball; we talk about Sharks hockey. Uh, on today's episode, we give the most recent updates on the Vander Kane saga, because uh, everyone's so excited about that information, of course. Uh, then we take a deep dive, well, a semi-deep dive, into the Kanijov injury situation and what that means for the Sharks kind of moving forward, and uh, especially for the deep pairings, you know, starting this season. Then we're going to tackle some under-the-radar questions and our Megalodon questions, some some big questions that are going to determine the majority of which way the Sharks season kind of goes, if it's trending up or if it's going to be, well, you can't go any further down than where they were last year, so if it's just going to be stagnant. Uh, after our Sharks, uh, Sharks talk, we have an incredible interview with the San Jose Sharks inaugural season first-round pick, Pat Falloon. Yeah, and uh, Pat Falloon was a great, guy to talk to. He, like Willie Mecklen this Saturday, was the rare San Jose Sharks player to play in the NHL right after he was drafted. You know, Falloon was drafted in 1991, stepped right into the lineup for the 1991-92 Sharks expansion season. And there's just a little more than a handful of these guys out there. We've talked about this before. Falloon was one of them, of course. Patrick Marlowe, Jeff Friesen, Vlastimil Krupa, Ray Whitney, and Milan Mahalik. And Eklund will be joining that group. Uh, again, the rare Sharks player to play in the NHL in the season, in the year right after he was drafted. And so we're going to ask Pat Falloon what it was like to be a teenager in the NHL with sort of the weight of the franchise seemingly on him. All right, before we get into that, we're going to give a quick shout-out to our social media handles. You can follow the podcast at SJHockeyNowPod. You can follow the network at HockeyPodNet. And you can follow myself at Nick Floor underscore Shang. You can find me at Shang underscore Pang. And all your work at SanJoseHockeyNow.com, of course. <laughs> thank you. That. Thank you for that. Yes, <laughs> I, uh, I, I forgot. <laughs> Don't worry. I got your back, Shang. <laughs> so let's just hop right into the fun bits, I guess. Uh, the Sharks unveiled their opening night roster. And uh, to no one's surprise, Evander Kane was absent from the list. He was uh, counted as a non-rostered player. Uh, but the biggest surprise came when fans and all people alike, especially all over hockey Twitter, found out that since Evander Kane is currently under investigation, his salary does not count 
toward the cap hit. So where the broke sharks suddenly are rich and plentiful with $8 million in cap space per cap friendly. Um, and then, of course, the questions start rolling in, saying, oh, we should just go out and try to trade for Jack Eichel, or we need to go find someone to bolster up this roster. And that that's not necessarily how that can work. There's a lot of ins and outs, especially because he's still under investigation. Uh, but a big chunk of news came out, which uh, was actually written on San Jose Hockey Now, uh, com. It's a, I believe it was from National Hockey Now. It was the one that did the, the big nationwide sure. uh, article mm-hmm. on it. But Nick Kiprios at Real, I think it's Kipper or Kuiper. I'm not sure if that's pronounced. Yeah, Kuiper. Yeah, K-Y-P-E-R. Real K-Y-P-E-R. Yeah, he tweeted out uh, October 12th. Now, again, we are recording this on Thursday night, late night. We're talking late night. Uh, you're going to be listening to this on Friday morning on your way to you know, home, work, which, whichever, or at work. Get back to work. Um, It sounds like the NHL is leaning towards suspending San Jose Sharks Kane under supplementary discipline 18-18A of the CBA. After serving his set amount of games, it's likely he'll be cleared to resume his career. I think that's a funny thing that he said the word resume his career and not season. Uh, That implies a lot of what ifs that came to my head initially. You know, how long could this suspension be? I looked up 18A of the CBA and it's off ice conduct. So obviously this is going towards that vaccination card and what sort of rules he's breaking via uh, Gary Bettman. So uh, a lot of questions kind of came up with this, Shane. Can you, uh, what, what kind of piqued your interest when you saw this? Well, that also can go toward, uh, he's also under investigation for sexual assault, uh, domestic mm-hmm. battery, so not just for a, a fake COVID vaccination card. Yeah. Uh, anyway, though, it's hard to say what this means because we don't know how long, if 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 this occurs as uh, Kiprios has laid out, that he'll be suspended and then he'll be able to resume his career. We don't know how long that's going to be for. So we have no idea how long this cap space exists for the Sharks. You know, if this is just sort of a illusion. Mm-hmm. And so I get accused from time to time on Facebook, especially of writing clickbait articles. <laughs> and I'm not sure if the people there know exactly what clickbait means. But I will confess, though, that I wrote a clickbaity title. Uh, I wrote a story of, uh, about the cap space and I titled it, Ico Anybody? But of course, and I, as I mentioned in the article, that was just a tongue-in-cheek thing. And so, and as you mentioned, Nick, there's a whole ton of obstacles between the Sharks acquiring uh, Jack Eichel with Evander Kane's salary cap space. Um, so I think the first thing we need to figure out is, at least on the hockey side of things, is how many games is he going to be suspended if he is suspended. And so it's a lot of uh, we'll see, which means that we're still going to have a lot more Evander Kane news to come. Uh, and who knows? We may have it as soon as when you guys are listening to this on Friday. Yeah, there's just too many question marks or questions in this situation and, and not enough answers from the league side. And, you know, from a fan's perspective, it can be frustrating and annoying to just constantly have this lingering issue just kind of stuck on you. Um, I'm sure Sharks fans just want this ball and chain kind of cut off so they can move on. Um, but we'll, we'll, like you said, we'll see. We, we are still waiting for the silver bullet. We're still waiting for something to show up uh, on this uh, news front. So 
I'm done talking about it again. I think every time that we've brought up Evander Kane on the show, I think I've ended the segment with, I'm done talking about Evander Kane. <laughs> well, you're going to be talking about it a lot more yet, so that would be my guess. I think we we kept it to like five minutes, so I'm okay with that. <laughs> uh, moving forward, the big thing, or, or the under-the-radar kind of tip-of-the-iceberg subliminal news that came out involving uh, Nikolai Kanijov, uh, Bob Bugner was asked if Kanijov was still trending up, and to which he replied, not really. So in, in the NHL world, it's just a UBI and an LBI world. It's upper body injury, it's week to week, it's lower body injury. Like nothing makes any sense out there. We never get timetables. Any other NHL coach would say something along the lines of, oh yeah, we're closely monitoring the situation right now. He's currently rehabbing. We're hoping to get him back soon. Luckily, Bob's a little bit more forthcoming with information. He's more honest, more upfront from what I've noticed. So we can now focus at the problem at hand is Kanijov's timetable is significantly longer than we had hoped at the start of training camp. So what does this mean for the D pairs moving forward? You know, who do we expect to be the partner for Eric Carlson on opening night? Is it going to be Shimmick? Is it going to be Vlasic? Or is it going to be Hataka? Yeah, uh, I think uh, the, the the big thing I took from what Bob said about Kanijov, and there's a, a lot to, to say or a lot to take from it, but uh, he referenced that injury as being long-term, whatever Kanijov is suffering. It's a lower body injury, and that's all we know about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he said it too. Uh, he said that bo- he said both Kanijov and Veal's injuries were long-term. And Veal's injury actually gave a timeline to uh, a month. And so, Kanijov, you know, when you know when you say long term, that could mean anything, right? It could mean, uh, you know, as as a Bob just sort of suggested, it could be a month, it could be six months. You know, what we do know about Kanijov is that yesterday he went to go see a specialist outside of San Jose for his uh, injury. Uh, not a good sign, of course. And we have no sense of kind of uh, how long uh, he will be out. And so now we talk about who is going to replace him next to Eric Carlson. And I addressed that a bit a couple of days ago. I had an article titled Three Under the Radar Sharks Questions. And the three questions were, a couple of them are forward related. Uh, will Timo Meyer finally break out? Who's going to play with Nick Bonino and why does it matter? And the third question is relevant to Carlson and his partner. Where is Mark Edward Vlasic's game at? And I think that we have seen in this preseason so far that his game is not at the level that you hope for for the money he's making. And I think he will be better than he was last year. He was bad enough last year, Vlasic, I'm saying, to be dropped to the bottom pairing. But I don't know if it's going to be good enough for a top four role again. And one of the reasons why I can kind of say that, besides watching him uh, during the preseason, and granted, he only played a couple of games, but with Kanijov's injury, it would seem to be a clear, open path for somebody to skate with Eric Carlson. And you would give it to somebody that you thought belonged in a top four in theory, if you're the coaching staff, you know, one of the adages about coaches that's usually true is that coaches know to play good players. Usually. 
And so if Vlasic was Vlasic circa 2016 or Vlasic circa 2019, he'd be a shoe-in next to Carlson. There wouldn't even be a, a moment's thought about that. Mm-hmm. That there is a moment's thought about it and that Eric Carlson has skated in camp with with uh, not really Shimmick, but with Vlasic, with uh, uh, Hataka, with Middleton, um, shows, signals that the Sharks have about, and I'll count Shimmick in this, they have about $9 million devoted to two defensemen that can't take a top four job in a pinch. And that's a huge, huge problem. And as I wrote in my Kanijov injury article, you know, this indecisiveness in your top four is decidedly not a good sign heading into your season opener. And so this is a huge, huge problem. Yeah, that's, uh, Shang, that's not a good sign for the Sharks moving forward. The more times we bring up money involving the Sharks' defensive pairings, the more heartbreak I feel. I think we even mentioned it with Mike McKenna, like just between Vlasic Carlson as well as... Uh, Brent Burns is $26.5 million there, and it just hurts really, really bad to know that the guy is getting paid that much money to play defense. In, in Vlasic's case, cannot secure that top four role for the Sharks, and it's just hurting them day in and day out, all of last season, all the season before, and it doesn't show any signs of stopping. So, we're Well, gonna a- you know, if mentioning Carlson... Burns and Vlasic's contract might be considered gut punches for you, the Sharks fan. At least mentioning Chimmick's contract is more like a little pinch, at least. Yeah, yeah, sure. It's <laughs> 2.25. Still doesn't feel good. It's like, ah, oh, I got stabbed. That, that, that punch in the arm doesn't feel that bad anymore. <laughs> um, you, you actually uh, had articulated out or tweeted out the Sharks lines this morning. Uh, big news coming out. Gadjevich finally showed up. We're just going to touch really quickly on this. This is huge for the Sharks. They were having a lot of visa issues. This is a, an extra player that the Sharks claimed off of waivers, a former second-round pick. We've talked about it before. He's uh, going to take a little bit of time to work with the guys. Whether or not he can slot into those that bottom six role somewhere is to be determined. Um, but as of right now, uh, the the biggest thing is we see Darlene and we see Eklund on the top six. So we know that our, our the young guys that we're bringing in, some very young kids from overseas are going to be seeing some top-line minutes in the NHL against a very good team and the Winnipeg Jets. Uh, so that's something Sharks fans can look, can look forward to this Saturday. And just as a heads-up, if you are going to the game this Saturday, make sure that you have your proof of vaccination good to go and sign up for the Clear app because... I'm not trying to wait in that line forever. Y'all need to hurry up, okay? Like, <laughs> I'm going to have lunch with my wife over in San Jose. I'm not trying to be late into the game, okay? So make sure you guys got your stuff all taken care of on that front. So, Shang, we got a little segment here for the listeners. It's called the Megalodon Questions. We were going with many nicknames, right? We had Burning Questions. Turning had- Point Questions. Oh, yeah, turning point, but that just left a really bad taste in our mouth for reasons not to be mentioned, um, as well as just big questions. But we decided we're going to take a shark's turn on it and go Megalodon questions here. And these are going to be questions that I'm sure Sharks fans are asking themselves in the inside of their head, but it might not be articulated out there for people to to get an answer to. So that's what we're going to do for you guys here. We're going to list – we're going to – 
I'm going to ask these questions. Shane's going to give his answer. I'll give a little follow-up. But these are the biggest things that can help make or break the Sharks' season in the you know this coming year. So the first question, I mentioned it a little bit earlier. Can Darlene and Eklund deliver in the top six? Yep, and if you think about it, a really a lot depends on these two rookies. If they succeed, you suddenly have actually very solid forward depth for once with the Sharks. You know, you can have a third line that features, as it does now, Kevin LeBanc. And remember, Kevin LeBanc scored 52, 56 points, I think, with Joe Thornton on the, on the third line a couple years ago. You can also have a, a Rudy Balzers on your third line. Uh, that's where Balzers started camp. Balzers was actually on the line to start camp with Benino and LeBanc. And that is an excellent-looking third line. Mm-hmm. That's all the the fantasy stuff. <laughs> the <laughs> reality of it, the reality <laughs> of it is that it's a real stretch to expect two rookies to step into your top six and contribute immediately. The last time there were two rookie twenty goal scorers on the same team was two thousand six oh seven in Pittsburgh. Evgeny Malkin with thirty three and Jordan Stahl with twenty nine. Even forty plus points by two rookies on the same team is unusual. The most recent, 2016-17, Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner. So all four of these guys that I've mentioned, these are all lottery pick types. Uh, in the case of Dolly and Eklund, only Eklund is that, of course. But needless to say, this is a very, very tall order. A ton of pressure to put on your two rookies to start the season. If they bomb... Suddenly, you have two huge holes to fill in your top six. And sure, you can get a Kevin LeBanc or a Barrett Bonoff to fill those holes, but then who's on your third line? You know, who's on your third line that's designed around Nick Benino to play the best players on the other team and take the line share of the defensive zone faceoffs? So, yeah, this is, I think, a very big gamble that the Sharks are taking. Maybe they don't have much of a choice. But it, but it's a. Uh, I'll say it feels better than it has the last couple of seasons when they were trying to roll, you know, Greg on the third line or Daniel Yurtaikin wherever in the lineup a couple of years ago. But I think Eklund and Darlene have shown a bit more. But it's still, as I noted with some of the stats that I pulled up and how unlikely it is to have a couple rookie 20-goal scorers or a couple 40-point scorers on the same team, it's a tall, tall order. Yeah, and it would take a, a, a just a hefty amount of magic. That's the only thing that I can really think of. It, it boils down to just magic and timing. I mean, you're talking about 20-goal scorers and Malkin and Jordan Stahl and then you think in your head, you know, Jonathan Darlene as well as uh, William Eklund. That's a, like you said, it's a tall order. It's more than a tall order for two rookies to come out and do that for the Sharks on a team that has just been tumbling down since the 2019 season. Um, it's it's going to take a lot of veteran, what, what's the word I'm thinking, resurrections, essentially i i feel to to help them get to that point sure right and it's it, it's and like you said it's it could make or break whether or not tomas hurdle stays so um that, that's another thing that that a lot of this is riding on so whether or not they can or can't do that is to be seen if if i was a betting man i would bet no but um 
Yeah, it's just unfortunate. Yeah, that's uh, one thing to note. You know, we're going to talk to Pat Falloon in a little bit. And Pat Falloon had to deal with a lot of pressure uh, coming to expansion franchise, being their very first draft pick, being the number two pick of a draft right after Eric Lindros. But Pat Falloon did not have to do anything to keep a star player like Tommy Hurdle around. So that's a kind of interesting pressure that uh, Eklund, you know, it's not going to be said, not going to be mentioned. But I do believe, and I wrote a little about this in regards to Hurdle, that I think Hurdle wants to stay. Uh, Hurdle has talked many times about how he's started a family in San Jose. He's played 500 games here. Uh, he loves the fans. He loved the locker room up to the last couple of years. I think he wants to stay, but he wants to win too. And both things may not happen in San Jose, obviously. Obviously, the winning part is in serious question with all the these long, difficult contracts that the Sharks have. And so to keep Hurdle, you need to give him hope. You need to give Hurdle hope. And that hope could be in a William Eklund or a Jonathan Darlene. But again, though, that's a lot of pressure to put on them. What I think would be hilarious is if they find success. I know we're running off on a tangent here really quick. Is if Darlene and Eklund find just an inkling amount of success and they put them both on Tommy Hurdle's line. Nice. So it's just like <laughs> pressure from both angles. Fighting a war on two fronts. You're going to say no now, Tommy? Yeah, the two, the two young kids. Yeah. yeah. Please. Exactly. <laughs> and, uh, but I, this Tom, the, the, the Tomas Hurdle front the contract i'm gonna i'm gonna put it out there in the world it feels way too similar to the pavelski situation for me um so i'm going in expecting the absolute worst so that way if something good happens i am surprised for the better um and i think that's just kind of where all the sharks fans mentalities are kind of at with these last couple seasons we're just gonna expect the worst if good things happen we're gonna be surprised and it's not gonna be a bad time so uh, next little bullet point on our Megalodon questions, and this is, I think this is definitely worthy of being put on this segment. Who will play net front on the power play? Shane, you actually had just tweeted out Thursday, again, we're, we're recording this Thursday night, but you tweeted out the, uh, the two power play units that were essentially being deployed during that practice. And we're assuming this is what they're going to try in the opening night on Saturday. Um, but yeah, go ahead and break it down for everyone. Yep. Uh, so on one unit, they had Burns, Meyer, Darlene, uh, Couture uh, playing the high slot or bumper area, and Nick Bonino net front. And Nick Bonino is actually a very good net front person. I think there's a lot of questions of, oh, Nick Bonino not thought of as a big scorer. Uh, but he is very secure in that position. It's the other unit where I'm not so sure about the net front uh, presence there. So the second unit is Carlson, Eklund, LeBanc, Hurdle in your bumper high slot, and Jasper Weatherby as your net front person. And my questions, uh, well, first, uh, with uh, Weatherby is obviously he's a rookie, and I don't, he obviously has not played net front at this high, high a level. And I think the immediate I think response in terms of, well, why don't you just put, you know, shift the Timo Meyer from the other unit, put him in front of the net. Um, you know, you can just, you know, you, you can put any skill. Why don't you play Tommy Hurdle uh, net front? 
Netfront is a is a kind of a special kind a of a position on the power play, and there's a reason why Nick Bonino was brought in, and specifically that's his role. Even though Nick Bonino, I'm not sure if he's even scored 20 goals in his in his career, but specifically Netfront is a specific job. Uh, I wrote about this a couple months ago. I wrote about Nick Bonino being on the power play because I put I put two and two together there. Uh, Bob Bugner at the end of last year said that that's one of the areas he wanted to improve on the power play. And when they signed Nick Benino, I did some research, and I realized that Benino was a big part of Minnesota's power play playing the net front. He had a lot of success there. Mm-hmm. And so I talked to an NHL coach in general about what a net front guy has to do. And it's not just simply score goals. If you think that's all Joe Pavelski did net front, then you are mistaken. Uh, if you think, you know, Vander Kane played a lot of net front, and he scored some goals there, but I think that, you know, when – Bob Bugner talked about, at the end of last season, wanting to improve net front. He was talking about Vander Kane, too. And he wasn't just talking about Kane's production, which I think net front has been okay. You know, actually, uh, two years ago, he had a really good year on the power play, at least in terms of production. But it's not just about goals scored. So this is what the NHL head coach said to me about what he wants out of a good net front person. And not all of this is about that player scoring. He said... He needs to be good at using his size and awareness to take the goalie's eyes away. He has to make the goalie work. He must have really good hand-eye coordination to deflect and tip pucks, put them in play on the goalie. He's got to understand the power play system, when to screen, when to roll away as a backdoor option. He's got to play the goal line and be a passing option who can roll out to stuff it or make a quick pass to the slot or the back door. Basically, when a player is in front of the net there, um, you know, if the, if the moment calls for it, can he attack the net quick with the puck, be quicker than the defenseman trying to get, get at him, or can he react and make a quick, ba- a quick pass uh, back to the slot or if somebody is walking down, walking down the slot in the back door? So it's a position that this coach says that requires skill, smarts, and good reads. And to go back to, it's not as simple as just scoring goals. It's not just the guy that, that scores goals there. It's the guy. It's a guy that can make the power play better, basically. Make the power play better by making the goalie work, right? Taking away the goalie's eyes. Um, even the, the hand-eye coordination to deflect and tip pucks, obviously, ideally, the, when you tip a puck net front, it goes past the goalie, you score a goal. But even just getting a good tip and that trouble, right, that chaos you create in the net with that tip because chances are if you tip the, the puck on a goalie and he, the goalie makes the save, the goalie won't be able to, to stop the puck, though. It's probably going to go off uh, you know, some part of the goalie. It's going to be a rebound somewhere, and that's really important. So, again, you know, net front is not just simply about putting your most skilled guy there. Otherwise, a guy like Timo Meyer, you know, why hasn't he been net front? Well, it's because I don't think he's really that great at that position, at the net front position. These little subtle things, you know, are things that aren't uh, the forte of his game. I think Timo is a shooter first kind of guy. He's a volume shooter. I think we might actually say the same about Evander Kane. Evander Kane is more of a volume shooter than being than these kind of little things. I don't know if he's as strong at. Um, so anyway, I think this is a very important role for the Sharks to figure out beyond Nick Benino. 
I'm not sure if Jasper Weatherby is going to be the answer for a lot of the reasons why we mentioned, just his youth and inexperience at it. Mm-hmm. One guy that I think actually you mentioned may turn out to be sort of a sleeper guy for it is Jonah Gadjevich. And Gadjevich, of course, waiver claim, et cetera, et cetera. You know, not, let's not expect too much out of him. But his skill set all throughout juniors and even in the AHL was net front guy on the power play. That's specifically the one thing that he's supposed to be quite good at. And so can he be somebody that can help uh, the power play, uh, specifically net front? And I think it's very, very possible, especially if you consider who else has been net front on the power play for the Sharks this preseason, right? And like I said, Bonino's job is safe. But beyond that, we've seen Weatherby in games. Uh, We've seen Lane Peterson in practice. So this isn't, you know, this isn't Joe Pavelski or Thomas Holmstrom that Jonah Gadjevich is trying to take a job front, at least on the power play. So I can see Gadjevich getting a very serious look on a power play unit at front, see if it takes. He's not going to... He's not going to get you know so much rope. He's not going to get a whole season to to show his stuff. But I can see him getting some good run there. Yeah, I mean it's uh it's one of those things where if you use Pavelski as a pinnacle type of top tier highest echelon level of net front pl- uh, power play specialist, because in my opinion he was the biggest thing was he was the best tipper in the league. He also had. You can just go down the list and you can just check every single box. He wasn't gigantic, but he knew how to use his size. He had awareness. And the thing that it boils down to is like hockey IQ. And I don't want to take anything away from Timo Meyer in the sense that he is a, just an athlete. He really is a great athlete and a great hockey player, but you got to have a specific skill set to be in that net front package, like you had said. Kind of like a tight end. In the NFL, they're not scoring the most touchdowns, you know, but you have your, your couple of guys who are the best. But there's the intangibles that they have to do, mainly physically, because you're in the dirty area of the ice, per se. So you have to go out there, you have to do the intangibles that don't show up on the score sheet to allow the power play to be successful. Hey, yeah, one thing you mentioned, Pavelski, that uh, I'd love, uh, I wish were, was tracked is everyone focuses on the goals that Pavelski scored, and you should, and he was the best. He is the best at the league in that. Mm-hmm. But what about the shots that didn't go in but caused chaos that led to goals, be it uh, on the very next play or later in the ship? He's got the goalie moving all over the place, right? These are kind of the, the little things that are missed if you concentrate just on the amount of goals that were scored. And that's the area... Again, you know, why is Nick Benino, why is your third-line center on the power play? Well, this is why, these kind of little things. Uh, why is Weatherby on it right now? Well, they're hoping that he can do enough of these little things to be a positive force on the power play. Um, but it's a whole different job, again, net front, as opposed to where Eric Carlson or Brent Burns play on the point mm. or along the wall where William Acklin or Kevin LeBanc play. Totally different jobs. Yeah, exactly. So um, I like Weatherby being there just because of how he played at UND. Um, he was, I mean, he, he fits the bill in the sense, and he's got the IQ to hopefully 
grow in that role, but I don't personally see him taking that role over for the good, unless he just shows out. Like, there's a possibility. Of course, there's always a percentage chance that he, he comes in and just absolutely kills it in that role. Um, but I'm interested to see if who else can, who can slot into those those roles for the Sharks, um, and can they be better than him? So mm-hmm. uh, moving to the next question, new haircut, who this? Uh, will the real Eric Carlson please stand up? Take it away, Shank. Well... You guys, uh, everybody listening, have every reason to doubt Eric Carlson. It's been two years. Yeah, two years. (laughs) Two years since we've seen Norris Caliber play from him. Um, But the Sharks, obviously, the way they're constructed, the salary cap uh, is limiting them, right? It's not the NFL. They can't just cut Eric Carlson with no penalty. They probably would have done so already, to be honest, if this was the NFL. you're, You're stuck with them, basically. And your hope, the team's hopes, you know, are raised up with him or they drown with him, you know, depending on where his game is at, where his groin is at, where his ankle is at, whatever, <laughs> right? It all it all depends on that, right? And yeah. so let's just face that reality. You're not just getting rid of him. So with that in mind, uh, what uh, Bob Bugner said about Carlson's camp today was interesting. And don't want to give out too much false hope, of course, but it does sound different than what's been said in the past. And this is what Bob said. Again, he said this uh, Thursday afternoon. He came in ready with a purpose this year. In the past, whether it was injuries or maybe he took his foot off the gas pedal, coasted through camp uh, a little bit like some veterans do from time to time. And... And, you know, just really quick, Shang, I wanted to point out that I've gone on the record before to say that I feel like uh, injury offseason after injury offseason for Eric Carlson has really hampered his camps. Uh, What I saw in the final preseason game against Vegas was pretty good. He was pretty damn good. I don't want to, like, overhype it up. I just wanted to slot this in here really quick. He made, uh, on the power play goal from, uh, or on the goal from Jonathan Dahlin, he made a behind-the-back pass that just, yeah, I just feel like I was in 2019 again. But it was, this that quote right there is is, is huge for me because I said this was going to be his very first time in a San Jose Sharks uniform coming into camp without an off-season surgery. He's going to come in with a chip on his shoulder. He doesn't want to go through a rebuild. And to me, he's shown it in the games with and how he's played. So just wanted to put that out there. Let's hope so. Uh, Carlson <laughs> had great games last year, too, and I wrote about some of those great games. So let's not uh, totally discount his season last year as if he was bad from games 1 through 56. So he had good games last year, so I'm not going to take a good game here and there and say that's enough from him. Obviously, with the money he makes and the expectation, he's going to be good you know, 90% of the time. I don't know. So he has to, yeah. he has to be a lot, a, a lot better than good you know, one out of every like five games or so, which was kind of what he was last year. But Bugner also said that he told Burns, Burn, Brent Burns and Eric Carlson this, and he told them, as you get older, it becomes much harder just to turn a switch on when it matters. Both guys have done a really good job with that account. 
And so, again, you know, I don't want to put out too much false hope. We've seen two years of uh, substandard Eric Carlson. There's Carlson just turned 31. There's every reason to believe. Uh, and obviously, you know, people from Vegas gambling, you know, most people believe that this, this downward trend will continue. And so uh, it's likely to continue just honestly that that's what the odds are right but the sharks as again as as the cap situation dictates they have him and so hope for the best and hope that these kind of little things that bob is saying and the little things that that you're saying nick you know like that yeah that fancy behind the back pass to timo meyer that went to to Darlene for Darlene's uh, first preseason goal. That that kind of stuff is more consistent and more regular this season. It will make a huge difference for sure. And um, I will go on to say that there were multiple occasions last season. Again, I don't want to just sit here and make excuses for Eric Carlson because he's getting paid $11.5 million to be the best player on this team, essentially. Um, there were multiple occasions where uh, an amazing stretch pass to a Dylan Gambrell and they just couldn't corral the puck or um, a Joachim Blickfeld and his short stint or a Noah Greger, as you had, as we, a name that we dropped so consistently with youth that did not live up to expectation. So the, it seems like the, the excuses are, are kind of, are, there, you, there's, there's no more. You can't have any more excuses. There's no injuries. You have, in my opinion, a, a deeper Sharks team this year than the, two previous years just based on the guys that have been sent down to the Barracuda compared to who's on the roster now with Nick Benino and Andrew Cogliano. So it, this is a, uh, what did you say for Ryan Merkley? For me, it's that way for Eric Carlson. It's a shitter get off the pot year for him because it feels like if it doesn't trend up at all this year, we're just going to be stuck with that contract and that production level throughout the rest of his, uh, throughout the rest of his contract. Yeah, what I said with uh, Merkley was that it was kind of a make-or-break year, not with his contract because he has two years left, but it was a yeah, make-or-break yeah. year for his reputation. Yeah, that's and what I was kind of And you can to. argue that with Carlson, too. Uh, Carlson has been you know, two years away from, uh, uh, from his best play. Um, but unfortunately, though, he has, unlike Merkley, uh, Carlson has six years left on his contract, so you have potentially six more years of excuses to look forward to. Yuck. Yuck, 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 yuck. Yeah. Don't like get it. A tongue. I'm getting a tongue scraper. I'm going to just rip this out of my taste buds really quick. <laughs> Our next and final Megalodon question, and this is something that we recently spoke about, but we're going to bring it up again because it is one of the more crucial and most talked about uh, points for Sharks fans last year going into this season. Can Aiden Hill help Sharks fans get over the Martin Jones hangover. <laughs> and yeah, uh, with the point of these these questions is, these are rather obvious Sharks questions. You know, will Eric Carlson be good? Uh, can the goaltending be better with Aiden Hill? But to kind of add like a fresh, uh, fresh perspective to it all. And so looking at the Sharks last year, their team save percentage was Ugh. 891. <laughs> Tied for second to last in the league. <laughs> so let's say, let's just do some math here. Let's say Aiden Hill and James Reimer can get the Sharks to league average. That was the Maple Leafs last year, by the way, who were 15th in the NHL with a 9.05 save percentage, above 90%. Imagine that, Sharks fans. So the difference between 
891 and 9905 uh, if you apply to the Sharks, the, the shots that they saw last year. It's a lot of goals. It's 26 goals less allowed. That's 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 a that's a big uh, big amount. And let's combine that with uh, let's say the Sharks and we talked about the power play a little bit. Let's say the Sharks power play can get back to average. And last year in the NHL that was about a 20.5 percent clip. That was a uh, slightly above average power play. The Sharks, of course, last season scored at a point a 14.1 percent clip, uh, 29th in a league. Do you have any noises, Nick? Uh, I, I want to save the viewers. You're, 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 gag, you're gagged out. <laughs> it's dry heaving now. <laughs> yep, I'm toast. <laughs> so the difference uh, uh, between a 14.1% power play and a 20.5, uh, looking at the, the, the Sharks' attempts last year, is 10 goals scored. Okay, so suddenly the Sharks' goal differential, if you – add in league average goaltending uh, about averageish power play. The Sharks goal differential was a minus 50 last year. Oh, so big, yeah. big heave there. <laughs> but if you, if you add in uh, better the average goaltending, the math I calculated, and an average power play, suddenly the goal differential is a minus 14. Now, not amazing. That's not a cup contender by any stretch. But it's worth noting that the Canadians the Stanley Cup finalist Canadians, they made it into the playoffs with a minus seven goal differential. So you start to kind of get, you know, again, average goaltending, average power play, maybe a little better at five on five, and suddenly your goal differential is somewhere close to even, which is roughly a playoff team. And you got to kind of uh, figure that those, these stats play into each other. You know, it's the the snowball effect, essentially, where one bad thing can lead to other bad sure. things, right? And so if you change one thing incrementally, yeah, it can change other things here and there. But the Sharks goaltending room was not an incremental change. That was a full overhaul. That was a complete R&R of the entire goaltending room. And we talked about that with uh, Mike McKenna on last week's episode. And, you know, he, he we asked him if it was an upgrade or if it was just a lateral move. And he's just like, well, I mean, look. And we talked about the, the different numbers and we, we talked about the high danger save percentage chances and all these different things that equate to success at the goaltending position. And he had his criticisms and his, like, uh, you know, pump the brakes on the Aiden Hill hype train type of uh, – talk there but at the end of the day we felt like it was an upgrade the the sharks goaltending room was what was a slight well, upgrade. anything would be an upgrade <laughs> exactly <laughs> getting back to average could snowball affect the sharks to success you know it starts and we talked about it before recording i said to me there was a lot of pressure or a lot of emphasis put on the bottom six and you countered with the top six and how it starts there and it goes down and you have more depth when you can move players down like you mentioned earlier and if you can trust the goaltender behind you you can play your game a little bit more safe and sound and all you know it's all and i'm gonna make a really stupid pun here it's all like the inner workings of a mechanism right 
So humans' inner workings are like bones, sure. you know, if we're not talking about organs, right? Uh, a clock is cogs, right? So the sharks literally went out and got bones and cogs to help the inner workings. <laughs> That's of actually pretty really good. I'm gonna give you that. One. I, I actually <laughs> didn't see that coming. So <laughs> <laughs> they literally got Nick Benino and Andrew Cogliano bones and cogs to help the inner workings of their team to put a better product on the ice for the sharks. So. Um, I think we are going to improve. I don't think it might be a drastic improvement compared to the rest of the teams in the division, but a good stride is better than no stride in this case. The Sharks 20, 21, 22. Let's get back to average. <laughs> Let's not be bad. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that pretty much, uh, I think it wraps it up for us here to talk about the Sharks. Um, and you know, I, I, we mentioned earlier in the show we have an amazing interview lined up uh, with Pat Falloon. He took time out of his day uh, to sit down and talk with us, and it was honestly a blast. Uh, before we get into that interview, of course, we do have to thank this week's sponsor, as always, DraftKings. Another week of the NFL season means another shot to win big at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. New customers can bet just $1.00 on any NFL game and win $100. It doesn't sound as good as $1 million. You know, I was going to do the pinky thing. <laughs> In free bets, if either team scores a point. The last 0-0 tie in the NFL was in 1943. So I'd say it's probably a no-brainer. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, DraftKings won't leave you empty-handed. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes all season long with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Sports Contests. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code THPN, throw down $1 on any NFL game, and win $100 in free bets if either team scores a point. That's promo code THPN this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. And without further ado, here's our amazing interview with Pat Falloon. And joining us today on the podcast is a farmer from Fox Warren, Manitoba. Okay, I'm lying. Just a little bit. He's not just a farmer. He was also the San Jose Sharks' very first draft pick in franchise history in 1991. Ladies and gentlemen, we bring to you Pat Falloon. Pat, how's your day going so far? Well, boys, it's going pretty well so far. So far, so good. Yeah, it seems like a eon ago that that took place. But, yeah, it's, it's part of history now for sure. And uh, speaking of uh, Fox Warren, Pat, um, you know, a couple hundred people there. And I wonder, uh, you know, you were called the pride of Fox Warren in many articles that I've read. You had your picture hung up in a local hotel when you were 15. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I just wonder, uh, was that hard to live up to that pressure? Um, that's a good question. I, I don't know. I guess it... I never really thought of it that way. You know, when you're that age, you're young. I left home when I was 15 to go play junior hockey, and uh, pressure is just what came with the came with playing. I never really thought of it of, of uh, as as pressure. You know, I just had a dream as a kid to play in the NHL, and and uh, I was fortunate enough to make it come true. 
and I guess it wasn't that much pressure because, hey, you came back home to live, right? Yeah, I came back to where I started from. Uh, but uh, what a what a whirlwind tour! I tell you, it was incredible. Um, very fortunate to uh, to have that have had that opportunity, and you know, memories are just incredible to me. So, you know, it's just uh, it's just part of my part of my being, I guess, to uh, to have accomplished those things. So you were drafted second overall by the Sharks, as I just said, their first draft pick ever. You had a great camp. That was, un, you know, that's obvious. And you were one of the best players on the team that got you onto the Sharks as an 18-year-old. Very few people can do that after their draft year. And, uh, you know, funny enough, just this season, William Eklund, Sharks' seventh overall pick, that's exactly yeah. what has happened to him, too. He's had an amazing camp, an amazing preseason, and now this coming Saturday, it's the real deal. Opening night against your favorite team, the Winnipeg Jets, to be yeah. you know, funny enough there. Um, but I want to ask you, what was that adjustment like back in 1991 uh, from the preseason to opening night and the real deal? Well, from what I recall, uh, you know, I went to camp with an open mind. I hadn't signed a contract. And uh, as camp started and progressed, they uh, ended up, Jack Farrar was a GM and uh, talked with my agent or whatever. And it seemed that I was going to be able to uh, perhaps make the team. So it was just a matter of getting the contract signed. And once I signed that, I was good to go. Very, very nervous, I guess. Uh, ended up, I missed the first first game. Uh, was on the road in, in Vancouver. And I uh, had a slight groin injury, so I never did play the first game that the Sharks played, but I was able to play the second one at home in the Cow Palace, which was another experience in its own with uh, 10,000 screaming fans there that, uh, you know, it was, it was incredible just to play in that building, actually. Yeah, and I mean, uh, you actually led the team in points that year and games played, ironically enough. So, yeah, you may have missed the first game, but you made it up on the back end there by playing in the most of, you know, compared to the rest of your teammates. Um, yeah. You actually sat down with Ryan Clark from The Athletic, and uh, you guys talked a little bit about kind of where you're at now. And just recently, another expansion team came into the NHL, the Seattle Kraken. And, uh, -huh. uh you said you gave advice to Matty Beneers, repeating what Brian Lawton and Doug Wilson, current Sharks general manager and uh, their prized uh, journeyman back in 91, told you uh -huh. as a rookie. And that was, and I quote, the first thing I would do is look around, find a good veteran who has yep. been around the league and latch on to them. Yep. Just take in all the information from someone on that team. So I got to ask you, which veteran did you latch on to your rookie year for the Sharks? And what did they do to help you succeed that that amazing rookie year? Well, that's a piece of cake. For me, it was Brian Lawton. Uh, he had done <laughs> – he was the first overall pick in 84. I think it was 84. I can't remember for sure now. But uh, he had been picked up in the expansion draft and uh, ended up – he kind of took me under his wing and uh, we roomed together and he – showed me the ropes uh you know he started in the league as an 18 year old in minnesota too and and uh, eventually he became a gm in the league as well as a player agent and and uh yeah i basically just took in everything that he said and and tried to uh 
you know, be seen more than heard, you know, uh, didn't need to say much in the dressing room. It was a group of veterans there and, and, uh, just tried to fit in. What, uh, advice did Brian give you? I think he had sort of the unique situation where I believe he was the first American drafted number one yep. and yourself, you know, just being the first pick of uh, expansion team. So that's a, you know, one of a kind kind of pressure there. So what advice did he give you? Just not to take anything overly serious. I think, you know, uh, <laughs> you know, if you, if you listen to the, what people say or, uh, you know, day in and day out activities, you know, just take things with a grain of salt and, and, uh, and learn from your mistakes, basically. Um, you know, he, I couldn't think of a better, a better guy to, uh, to show me that than, than he did. And, and he's very, very funny guy and very just kept things loose and, and you know, kept me, uh, kept me on the, well, I wouldn't say straight and narrow, but I mean, get me focused. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, it was, and then, as I said, it was a group of veteran guys. There are a lot of veteran guys that, 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 you know, looked out for me and, and, uh, was very, it was a special team actually. Yeah. And uh, speaking of like sort of uh, not keeping to the straight and narrow, you had an interesting cast of characters there uh, in that first year. Link Gates, yep. uh, of course, you had uh, Doug Wilson there too. Um, so, do you have any just any uh, stories just pop to your mind? You know, you know about that first year. Uh, no, but too numerous to mention. I think <laughs> you know, uh, I, you know, you bring up the, you bring up Link Gates and what a guy Link was. You know, uh, just a just a character and uh he uh he'd do anything for the team uh you know i don't know if i could think of anyone in particular story uh he uh he certainly he certainly i don't know he was uh he was a personality and and uh you know i think he maybe led the league in penalty minutes or or what have you but there was there was just numerous a whole bunch of cast cast offs really from from other teams, guys that were near the end of their careers and trying to, uh, to get a couple more years in their, in their, uh, you know, under their belt and secure their future a little bit. And, mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, it was just a fun time, you know, a very close knit uh, group of guys. And people forget uh, that not only did you lead the expansion Sharks with 25 goals, but you were really coming on to end of that season. You scored 28 points in your last 22 games. You know, do you kind of recall that end of the season period, those last 20 games? You know, did you feel like you were kind of getting it at the NHL level? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that was, uh, well, I don't know. I guess you can look at it two sides of the coin. You know, we were an expansion team. We weren't expected to uh, to make a run for the playoffs or not, whatnot. We maybe caught some teams by surprise. And, uh, you know, uh, I was, you know, George Kingston was a coach and he he played me. You know, he I, I played in the power play and I uh, played a regular shift and, you know, as the season went on, it just, uh, I just gained more confidence and, and, uh, you know, I was able to put up some numbers, you know, second half of the season for sure. So what sort of advice would you give to uh, a rookie or a teenager such as, you know, William Eklund walking into an NHL room right out of his draft year, you know, 18 or, or in William's case, he's 19 because of his right. uh, draft year eligibility. You know, what sort of advice would you give to William 
in his current situation right now? Um, I that's a good question. The league's changed so much. Uh, I think it's, I you know, basically the same. You just you just have respect and you you have your ears open all the time and you go to you go to work every day and and uh, accept advice, um, work hard and. And, you know, every day is not going to be the, uh, you know, the best. You're going to have your ups and downs and, and you know, who knows what might happen with him. He might start off hot. He might not. He might end up sitting for a few games, but you just have to keep things on an even keel. You know, being that rookie and, you know, you have to kind of keep your head down a little bit and maybe not stand out too much. But, you know, this is the early 90s, though. So did you have any sort of uh, uh, kind of hazing or anything like that? Did you have to buy, <laughs> buy, buy, the, buy the team dinner, you know, being the first round pick and all that? You know, maybe you had a little more money than some of the other uh, draft picks. So, <laughs> Yeah, for sure. I, uh, you know, at that point in time, it seemed like a, a whale of, of uh, cash for me. Uh, you know, I was fortunate that that, that uh time you know you know you were a rookie and and the guys respected they respected us i think it ended up there's being four or five of us uh, we had a rookie meal i think it was in chicago and uh and you know uh it was maybe three or four hundred bucks each or maybe more than that i don't know but it seemed like a hell of a lot of money at that time but <laughs> but uh you know i i can remember that meal i guess for some reason you know we had uh Bob McGill was there. He's a uh, D-man. He'd come from, well, he played in Toronto. He'd been, you know, in the center of the hockey universe for years. And uh, he was a character, and he was looking forward to that that rookie team meal. And uh, and and so, uh, so being, I don't know what, what the shots were or whatever, but there's some, some kind of shots. Louis something. It was, I don't know, $100 or $50 a shot or something. And I don't know how much it was enjoyed, but I know Big Daddy McGill enjoyed it, that's for sure. <laughs> Wait a minute, though. You were you were 19 years old or 18 years old. You weren't supposed to be drinking. Well, no, I, I of course I wasn't. <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it was, that's true. You know, I, uh, I remember, I think it was my second, third year, I finally turned 21 and I was legal to have a beer in California. And, uh, and that, you know, at, at that time it was, uh, I was, uh, you know, I came out of Spokane playing junior and the owners of that team were the Brett brothers, uh, from, you know, by George Brett was part owner of that team. Oh, mm-hmm. And it so happened that, uh, when I did turn 21, the, the Royals were playing in Oakland and, uh, ended up spending a bit of an evening with George Brett after the game so uh that's how i remember my 21st birthday for sure <laughs> not uh, you know, <laughs> before Wait. that i don't know i guess i i probably just got by with my name i'm not sure <laughs> you can't leave us hanging on that though so you spent your 21 21st birthday with yep. baseball hall of famer george brett yeah absolutely I, you know i you know if i think and recall a lot of the things that i that I went through. I just feel like I'm just so fortunate that, uh, that those things happened to me, you know, at the time I was in awe and I still am today of George Brett, but, uh, you know, he was at that stage of his career, he was DHing and, uh, you know, he, we went out and, you know, had a, 
nothing nothing special great but i mean i remember sitting at him with a bar and having a drink or two and he ended up dh in the next day hit a homer and i couldn't believe it. <laughs> how, how late did you keep uh, george brett out that night well, I don't know. Let's just say it was after midnight. <laughs> and I don't think that's curfew. You're sitting there looking at your watch. Last call already. Wait, what? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I just said, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Whatever George wanted or needed. And it's just a class act. I don't know. Uh, you know, I ran into so many, so many people over the years that just treated me tremendously. And, and uh, he was certainly another one of those people. Like I, you know, it's just, uh, it's just incredible. So, so back into some hockey talk here per se, we'd love to just sit here and talk about who you had beers with those first couple years for the Sharks. Right. But, um, you know, the, the following season, your sophomore year, even before yep. the, the shoulder injury, right. you were off to a, 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 I wouldn't say a, a relatively slow start, a slower start than the prior season, 28 right. points in 41 games. So yeah. what do you think may have happened early there? Do you think maybe you your scoring prowess in the first season, maybe someone had a, a, a target painted on your back, they're putting the shutdown line out there against you? Um, yeah, maybe, I guess a little bit. I don't know. I I notoriously not a great was not a great starter. you know, with October, November my stats never really that good. I usually was a little better come the new season after Christmas or whatever. And I had a, I got a, you know, I ended up, I was voted to play in the all-star game and uh, we're in Ottawa and got, uh, got hit, dislocated my shoulder. And that was the end of my season. And I don't blame anything in my career on that, but uh, you know, that's just, just another uh, turning point. As it turned out, Kelly Kissio was able to go, that year, and uh, he just had an incredible season. He ended up getting another contract out of it and playing in Calgary. And, uh, you know, overall, um, you know, 14 goals in, tw- in 41 games wasn't too bad. Um, it's it's a funny league, you know. It's, <laughs> you're hot and cold, you're streaky, and, and uh, so was the case, I guess, that year. Yeah, and uh, for the Sharks specifically, as a team, a little bit colder than hot in those first couple of years. You know, <laughs> being the expansion team that they were, they didn't get the uh, the glorious expansion draft rules as, uh, let's say, Vegas and Seattle have gotten right. these last couple of years. Um, yeah. So, you know, even though you had that personal success with San Jose, the first couple of years, they were rough for the team. You guys just won 28 of 164 games <laughs> yeah. in those first two years. So every victory was hard-earned. We can we know that for a fact. Right. Um, so did did any of the losing affect your game personally? I would think not, but they, they talk about how players can gain habits when losing. Did that happen to you at all, especially being uh, more you know younger and more impressionable at that age? Um, yeah, I... I guess it, it's, uh, you know, it's an atmosphere, you know, and anything you do with winning or losing it, you know, you can, you can get some bad habits or you can fall into a, you know, some self pity moments and, and mm-hmm. shit like that. But, uh, it was, it was second year was really a tough year. It was, uh, you know, I think we broke records for, for losses and, uh, you know, it was hard. It was hard to keep a positive mindset at points, but 
that that being said, you know, uh, you uh, you learn from those things too. Uh, you know, in uh, not just in hockey, but in life. You know, you're not gonna you're not gonna win every every day you go out and play. Mm-hmm. So overall, I guess it was more of a learning experience, and I happened to be hurt for the last half of the year and and uh, watched it from from up above. But I mean, we still have guys that year that had great seasons and Kelly Kissio and Robbie Gaudreau had a great season. He think he almost scored 30 goals and Davey Bruce. And so there's always positives when you look back to, uh, to stuff that that's not really, you know, great. If you look in the standings, it uh, wasn't that pretty to see for sure. Mm-hmm. On a day to day, how tough was that though? You know, you have great leaders there like a Doug Wilson or a Kelly Kissio, you mentioned, uh, you know, guys who are trying to stay positive, but it's got to be tough. Uh, they're trying to stay positive, but you guys are seeing the results, right? And so right. just day-to-day, just how, how how tough is that? Well, uh, it wasn't easy. You know, it's, you know, it's, it's just a fact. Uh, you know, you look at that, that team the second year, there's a handful of guys that have gone on to be GMs in this league or coaches, you know, I think of Dean Everson and, and you know, uh, guys like that who just persevered, you know, Paul Fenton, um, you know, Brian Hayward and that, like there was, there was a lot of character built from that, whether you can look at it how you want. But uh, I think if you ask any guy that played on that team, they'll remember it for more of a learning curve than, than a negative thing. What did you learn from it? That I hate losing. <laughs> well, I knew. That. <laughs> uh, it's uh, you know why play the game, right? If you you know they keep score, so you might as well win it. Um, and, but it's you know brings it, it brings out the personality in everyone. Uh, you know you learn you learn about people. You learn about yourself more importantly, and uh, and I you know I, you, there's not too many guys that just go through the career and never lose. Right, right. And, you know, going, uh, uh, sticking with that second year, and, of course, you did have that injury. Uh, you dislocated your right shoulder. And right. you've said that you still have, you never regained your range of motion there. Right. And I know that, uh, you know, you don't want to, you don't, you don't want to necessarily uh, 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 blame that or associate that with what happened with your career. But I had to ask you, why was that not fixed properly back then? I mean, well, I'm not. Yeah. It wasn't. I'm not saying it wasn't fixed properly. Okay. Uh, you know, it was a. It was a question at the time that was. You know, made. I mean, you can look at Jack Eichel right now. You know, right. he's sitting yeah. out. He's not playing. He's. You know, they're indecisive on what mode of, you know, what they want to do. And, and the, the poor kids missing the year of hockey. And, uh, you know, for me, I took the advice of our management and our doctors. And in my opinion, they did the best job they could. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't blame lack of success or, or anything due to that. I mean, you suck it up, right? You, uh, you know, I carry on. I had a good rehabilitation, and I, uh, I probably could have played at the end of that year, but I ended up, I ended up not. So, can't change it now. So it's, 
it's done and it's over. And, and, uh, you know, I just, you know, you see it all the time. You see it in every sport, you know, the, uh, you know, it's hard to judge what each individual body is going to react to a certain injury or, or, you know, how it's going to recuperate. And I guess you had the option then you could have also let it, uh, rehabilitate on its own, I guess, uh, instead yeah. of surgery. Yeah, I could have, I could have done that too. Um, you know, I, but I didn't, and uh, it is what it is. So I don't know. I, I'm, I'm happy. I'm probably one of the luckiest guys in the world, in my opinion. If I could look in the mirror every day and and be thankful for what I what I accomplished and sure. what I what I learned and what I did, and and uh, you know, I can still carry on a a, a normal life. Yeah. And you went drinking with George Brett when you were 21, too. So <laughs> that's amazing. I'm but... sure George doesn't remember that, but I <laughs> sure he doesn't. But I also wanted to ask you one more question about this, but more related to, to Jack Eichel, since you bring him up. You know, I think the crux of the whole Eichel uh, debate is that Eichel wants to do something and the team wants him to do something else. Right. And obviously, you as a former player, you might align more with Jack. But just what are your general thoughts about that? Because, you know, for you, you kind of took the team's advice. Um, you know, Jack doesn't want to hear. But just what are your general thoughts about that sort of player versus team debate? Yeah, that's a tough one. Uh, you know, you, you have to look at both sides, I guess. Uh you, I respect, I respect both sides. You know, it's a tough, tough choice to make. Uh, it's a, I think it's a, a bigger injury than I had. It's, mm-hmm. it's more. And of course, he's, he's, you know, you have to weigh your options. You don't know how long your career is going to be. You know, in this day and age, you don't, you're not, you know, you don't. You have to look, I think, in the future a little bit. And the, as the team, you want, you know, this is the guy you drafted. You want him to be healthy and you want him to play for you and you want him to uh, produce. So it'll be interesting to see how that turns out, whether it lasts half a year, all the year, or if he gets traded and, and goes somewhere and carries on with his career. And actually, it sparked one more question uh, about it. Uh, just for yourself, um, if you had just chosen to rehabilitate it, what would that have meant for you? Like, would you have missed more time, or you know, just why? Why was the option chosen for surgery instead of just uh, rehabilitating it? I think for it, at that point, it was for a long term fix. Mm-hmm. You know, we weren't just thinking. I, I probably could have rehabilitated and been back in the lineup and. A month or six weeks, but as we discussed earlier, that second year, I think by the time middle of January, end of January rolled around, we were probably odds of making the playoffs were very slim. Sure. So, uh, in everybody's opinion, it was that I got a good surgery and rehabilitated and, and was ready to go for the next year. I think that that was the main reason why I didn't do nothing and just. You know, because my shoulder would have kept, probably would have been dislocated again, you know, mm-hmm. as as things went by. And then I would have been out of the lineup again. And this was something that was going to uh, hopefully at that point, you know, cure an injury and enable me to have a longer, a long career, productive career. Mm-hmm. 
And I guess one more question, uh, but more related to William Eklund. And, you know, you suffered your injury as a teenager. And, you know, the NHL is a tough league for, you know, teenagers. Um, maybe the body isn't fully developed. Do you think that might have something to do with it? Or is it just kind of bad luck for you, kind of, you know? Well, a combination, I think. Yeah. Uh, yeah, at nineteen twenty, uh, you're still probably, you know, growing statue wise or muscular wise. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's just an unfortunate thing. You know, it happens every day. It happens to people, whether they're playing hockey or, or playing any sport. And, uh, I guess just, I, I really don't know how to describe it. Uh, it was just the luck of the draw. Just, I guess things, that's just the way it was meant to happen. And you said before, you, you know, you're not going to make any excuses. You, you love your life now as it is. And, um, as a scorer for you, Pat, Uh how did that injury affect you specifically? You know, because you were known for having a great release. You know, right. That's what your scouting report said. That's why the Sharks loved you so much. Well, well yeah, we checked the scouting report, Pat. Don't well, worry. Well, we we did. did our research. <laughs> you guys probably so, weren't even around in 91. No, I was negative three <laughs> I was. years old, Pat. Don't worry. <laughs> I was, Pat. You weren't even a sparkle in your mom's or dad's eyes. Nope, not at all. Not at all. <laughs> but um, back to the question, how, how did that injury affect your game specifically and how you played hockey? Well, just more physically than anything. I don't think mm-hmm. it, you know, it affected maybe the shot a little bit, but just more, more of the physical game. I think you know, I always had a, you know, I had to go into situations, you know, knowing that, you know, I was I had to play a wee bit differently. But mm-hmm. as far as shooting the puck, it didn't affect me that much at all. I don't think. Uh, but. Uh, yeah, just just basically, I guess, just a, the physical part of the game a little bit would be the only thing. Hmm. And the next year, uh, 1993-94, the Sharks did find some success with Kevin Constantine, but uh, was it a tough to play for Kevin, though? Uh, his style was a lot different, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> to put it you know, uh, kindly, than the previous coaches. Yeah, he, was, he had his own style. Uh, you know, it, it, was, uh, it was a little different. I mean... To each their own. Uh, we ended up going to. Uh, we almost ended up into the third round of the playoffs. Um, we, you know, we had. Uh, I have no idea where he might be now, to be honest. But he, uh, he has. He had his style, and it ended up that I. Uh, it was time for me to move on, and uh, and so be it. I uh, I ended up going to Philly, and and just came within a whisker winning the Stanley cup. So that wasn't, that wasn't bad news at all either. Well, why didn't uh, maybe your styles match you and Kevin's? I think he's more of a defensive, defensive style. He, uh, uh, a little less of, uh, you know, using your imagination, I guess would be the word, you know, more of a structured style, which is fine too. Unless, you know, you're, you, sh- I don't know. I, it's, it's hard to say. I haven't really, mm-hmm. I haven't thought about that for years, to be honest. <laughs> well, like I said, we've done our research, so. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I guess, you know, uh, 
in terms of that imagination, though, you guys did have Larianov, you guys had Makarov, and right. those guys, from what I understand, were kind of allowed to do their own thing, Garpenlov and Norton. Yep. Uh, so were you a little bit jealous kind of watching them that they were kind of, you know, uh, let off the, the leash a little bit, I guess, so to speak? I was in awe, to be honest, watching those guys play. Larianov, Makarov, Garpenlov. There was a five-man unit there with Jeff Norton, Santos Oslinch. And uh, they played their own style and uh, learned a lot from watching just those guys play. You know, it was a puck possession game, and, uh, you know, they wouldn't give it up. Uh, I wasn't jealous at all. I just had probably the best seat in the world to watch them play. And, uh, you know, just to just to be a part of that was good. And, of course, you know, who's going to tell Igor Larionov that he <laughs> changed his game? You know, he's all of the He's probably one of the top 10 players to play the game that I've played with. Why don't teams do that more? Just that kind of that five man unit. Detroit also did that with Larionov. And is it just hard to find five players that mesh uh, as well as they did in Detroit, the Russian five, and as well as they did with San Jose, uh, those five? Yeah, I think it is. I think it's, it's, uh, it's hard to. You know, on the pace of the game now with 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 guys, uh, you know, if you see a guy out there taking a full-minute shift, it's like out of the ordinary. If you're 30 to 45 seconds, that's the norm. And, uh, you know, there's more, seems to me anyway, there's more penalties and more, I don't know, it's just, it's just not the, it's not the same. It was a, it was a thing that happened and, uh, you know, I, got to see the bad end of it too when I went to the finals with Philly and and uh, Detroit had the five band unit to all the Russians so right it was yeah who knows but it might come around again it might be like Crocs or something I don't know <laughs> <laughs> you know um, you, you talked on record before about how the only regret that you may have had was how you trained and yep. prepared you know, back in the 90s was a chaotic era. There was grunge music. Yeah. There was Gene Co. jeans. You know, the world was in pure chaos back then. I agree. So it, it, was, it was a different time. You know, yeah. you even spoke about guys eating pizza and drinking beers after games. Oh, um, and you also said your eyes were quite opened by Rod Brindamore in Philly yeah. after uh, when you went over to Philly. Did anybody in San Jose train like Rod? Oh yeah, I mean, I I uh, I room with Dougie Wilson on the road. He was in incredible shape, you know. Okay. He he, uh, you know, him Dale and you know, a lot of guys and did that. I mean, and then there was, there was both sides of the coin. Uh, you know, played with Tony Herkus. The first time he put the skates on was training camp. You know, never <laughs> skated all summer. He'd go out there and he's the best skilled guy that we had on our team basically you know uh, he was a Hobie Baker winner and uh, you know so it was I'd seen it but I hadn't seen anything like Rod Brindamore when I went to Philly he's you know I'm sure if you did your research on him you would come to the conclusion pretty quick that he's he's an incredible man of freaking nature almost and just <laughs> work ethic that you can't you can't even fathom well, yeah, I mean, he's in better shape now than half the league, probably. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't argue that for one second. 
<laughs> but uh, what what do you think um, uh, your career might have been like if you had maybe taken on maybe maybe if you had been introduced to Rod Brindamore when you were a teenager and taken on the Rod the Bod uh, routine? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea. I don't even want to think about that. But, uh, yeah, I don't. I, I don't know. Some guys play like you talk about the the Russian the five. I yep. you know, watching Sergey Makarov out there. He. I could tell you right now, he probably wasn't the best, fittest athlete that you're ever going to see. <laughs> yeah, but I've read he that. <laughs> probably, you could knock him off your skates if you tried. You could try and run him over with a truck, and he would not go down. <laughs> yeah, so some of that is just natural, too. No, I, I, I gotcha. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, you also mentioned, too, rooming with uh, Doug Wilson. Uh, Doug Wilson, who is going to be going to the Hockey Hall of Fame of this year. Right. Uh, just what are some of your memories of rooming with Doug? Oh, just a class act. Uh, taught me a lot. Um, you know, just the little ins and outs, the little little things that you learn from, you know, just being on the road and how to manage your yourself. And, and uh, you know, he just just had the utmost respect for him still do very very rewarding you know that he's going to the hall of fame much due for him um you know i still still in in awe of him to be honest uh you know it it was incredible just to uh to have him there and uh to learn from him I'm going to guess that you don't have a drinking with Doug Wilson story like you have a drinking with George Brett story. <laughs> You'll have to ask Doug Wilson that question. <laughs> I've sworn to oath. <laughs> well, one one Doug Wilson story that I, I can tell you, uh, <laughs> I spoke with uh, a David Malay or um, somebody on my website uh, spoke with a David Malay uh, some time ago, uh, and he told me the story of, you, Doug Wilson, right. and Michael Jordan. Oh yes, yeah, that was. Oh, well, Scotty Pippen was there too. Well, so was that story all true? Because that sounded like like that's something that David well, just spun I, out, and you guys were there for the LeBradford Smith game. And if you guys don't know the Le, LeBradford Smith game, anyone who's listening, you got to look it up. Basically, uh, this uh, this this punk rookie kid uh, supposedly said something to Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan got offended, uh, and the next game, Michael dropped 40, 40 points in the first half on him. He, but he, he, as he, it turns out, though, LeBradford Smith never said anything to Michael Jordan, and Jordan just made it all up. But. Yeah, well, he did get 40 points in that first half, and I was there to see it, and I, to this day, i still in awe that I even met the man. He, um, you know, and that was all due to Doug Wilson. You know, I was, just ended up, and and there after the the uh, basketball game is Michael Jordan, and I, I don't think I said boo. I was like a fly <laughs> on the wall, I, uh, you know, just incredible. And I guess that was a uh, 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 Doug Wilson's nickname in, in Chicago parts. It was Willie. Yep. Yeah. Uh, you know, <laughs> I guess between him and then I guess Chelios took over after that. So Chicago's always had a good representative, uh, you know, as far as hockey goes, you know, just class acts. I never did get to meet uh, Chris Chelios yet, but uh, mm-hmm. you know, from all I've heard, just, incredible you know anybody who could play that long in the league and and uh you know just just so you know and what a city too like it's 
it was uh, it was something else. And the story that uh, David Malay tells about the Jordan story told to uh, Ryan Cowley on uh, San Jose Hockey Now uh, was that. You know, you guys uh, got tickets to the game because of Doug Wilson, and then yeah. after the game, you're waiting for 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 Michael Jordan to come out. And you know, when he comes out, it's not just him; it's not him and his entourage. It's no, just just, just MJ. It was just MJ and, and Scotty Pippen. Yeah, and Scotty Pippen. Yeah. So, what was it like meeting those guys? And I guess seeing, I guess they knew Doug Wilson. And so, what was it like? I guess watching them ham it up. Well, it was, like I said, I was just a fly at the wall. I, I felt like I was like a size of a mosquito, to be honest. Like I could not believe the size of the height of these guys, and uh, you know, I, it was to this day I still, you know, I got a ah, it's crazy, but yeah, just you know, that's probably one of the best athletes to ever play sports, and that's mm-hmm. unarguable, right? Right. Yes. Yeah. Right, absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, speaking of another of your former teammates and, uh, you know, uh, your friend too, uh, Ray Whitney. Sure. And I always wondered, uh, because things also did not work out for Ray Whitney and the Sharks, just like yeah. maybe they didn't quite work out for you and the Sharks. Right. And I know that Ray left the Sharks uh, a couple years after you did, but, yep. uh, you know, from your perspective, uh, why didn't it work out for Ray and the Sharks? Well, I don't think it really matters. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think it was best thing to happen to Ray. You know, he went on. He had an incredible career, yep. on the verge of being a Hall of Famer. Actually, I feel, and uh, he won a Stanley Cup, and uh, just a class act. I was fortunate to play junior with him before we even went to San Jose, and, right. and uh, you know, just a, just a great guy. And how we ended up not or leaving San Jose. I mean, that's a story that. I mean, you can go to every team and and pick out a few guys that just need to maybe a change of address, you know, a mm-hmm. new lease on life, and and uh, you know, an upstart. Uh, he he certainly proved that. Well, uh, Pat, I uh, just want to thank you uh, very much for your time, and uh, just uh, closing out with just a couple questions here. Uh, just in general, uh, talking this last half hour or so, any other shark stories spark up that you want to? Uh, kind of uh, share anything that you can open up the closet to. Um, we can put a warning. Hey, by the way, <laughs> if you have children in the car, fast forward this bit. <laughs> well, no, I, I just, I just, I don't know. I wouldn't know where to start. I, uh, I, you know, there's just uh, numerous, numerous things. I guess you'd have to ask. Dougie Wilson, I can't. I'm sworn to. I'm sworn to oath about anything. To, <laughs> with, well, with him on the road, so I'll leave it at that. <laughs> you, you, you've seen probably Doug in interviews uh, as a GM. He's very tight-lipped. You know, you can't be a general manager for so long if you don't know when to, you know, when to when to hold him, when to, you know, when to fold yeah. him, right? <laughs> That's right. You know, I gotta play your cards close to your chest. So, yeah, that's just it's just. Just the way it is, boy. So you just yeah, understand, understand. Yeah. Well, one I got to ask you about, and this story made me laugh, and it's something that Rob Zettler said on another uh, podcast, uh, the Teal Town podcast. And Rob Zettler said that outside of the Cow Palace locker room, a Sharks player was growing a marijuana plant. What? 
<laughs> and so it is my sworn, uh, my sworn duty as a Sharks beat reporter to one day find out whose plant that was. <laughs> well, it wasn't mine, I don't think. Anyway, but, uh, yeah, I could probably tell you, but then I'd have to shoot you or something. So. <laughs> you could. <laughs> <laughs> no, we can't be doing that. No, uh, no I, it was. Yeah, that's. Yeah, that reminds me. It was, if it wasn't for him, I would have led the world in plus or minus there the one year. And, uh, but you know, uh, you know, another thing Dougie Wilson said was about me. The only time that I was in our end is when they played the national anthem before the game. <laughs> Uh, what was it? Uh, Zettler who who led in in minus that year? I think it was the one year. Yeah, I was. Right oh, <laughs> somehow That's... he uh, he out he he happened to have the fortunate thing of being on the ice for a couple more goals against, but that just, you know, that's the worst that in hockey depends what side you're on. Right. Right, 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 right. And I guess I, I, I had to, do you, do you know whose plant it was? You're just not saying, or you don't, you don't recall that. No, I, being... don't, I don't, you know, that's, that's just, it's a foggy memory. So I, okay. you know, I, I can't, I can't admit or deny anything that I would know about that. Foggy from too much intake? No, no, no. <laughs> The plant is now a foggy memory for someone as well. Oh, I think maybe it's the concussions. I'm not sure. But... <laughs> All right. Well, I'm going to dig it up one day. So, yeah. So, I every time we have a Sharks alumni, not the plant. No, the plant is no. has long been smoked, smoked. But... <laughs> yeah, I'm sure long gone through anyone's by now. Long gone, long bong. So. Yeah, long bong for sure. Yeah. But... <laughs> I'm gonna every time we have a original shark, I'm gonna ask that question. Right. So I'm gonna keep 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 working on it until until I whittle away on it. But uh, Pat, it's been such a, a pleasure uh, having you here. Uh, I assume you'll be watching this Saturday. It's you know your uh, hometown team and against your first team. And ironically, of course, we want to talk to you because of William Eklund and he's going to be making his debut. So have you actually watched uh, any of his highlights or anything so far? No, I have not, but I will tomorrow and I'll watch the game Saturday for sure. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Well, love to hear your thoughts about, you know, another a teenage phenom uh, like yourself joining the Sharks. For sure. Wish them all the best and the Sharks too. Yeah, thanks again, Pat, again for, you know, taking time to sit down with us, talk hockey, drinking stories, marijuana (laughs) stories, everything in between. Tip of the iceberg, boys, tip of the iceberg. (laughs) You know, I I think I speak for most Sharks fans when I say, you know, thank you for helping pave the way for future generations of Sharks players. And, you know, it had to start somewhere. And, And you being that first pick for the Sharks, you helped set the precedent for what it takes and what it means to be a San Jose yeah. Shark. So thank you again, Pat, for, for everything that you did for the organization. And, of course, for sitting down and talking to us. Maybe we'll go off the record one day and uh, do a Please. little bit more you're, deeper you're dive. Well. The fans in San Jose deserve a Stanley Cup there, too, one day, and it'll happen. It's just a matter of time. You know, loyal fans, incredible. You know, still the best building that I ever played in. And, you know, as far as fan goes, when it comes to the playoffs, they're just – incredible and they are uh they're gonna be there and they're gonna enjoy it when they do win it yeah i will be there i promise you and i will be just as faded as you were 
when you just turned 21. So <laughs> ah, sounds great, guys. Thanks for having me. Thanks thank again, you, Pat. Pat. Have a good night. Yeah, you too. Take care. Big thank you to Pat Falloon for hopping on the podcast and sharing some amazing stories and memories with us about his time with the Sharks and all the fun off the ice he had, especially with Doug Wilson. And I ran into uh, Doug Wilson recently, and I begged him to confirm the Michael Jordan story. Obviously, Pat Falloon confirmed it. David Malay told the story on San Jose Hockey Now some time ago. And I'm going to keep pulling at Doug and see if I get a few more details about Willie. Yeah, honestly, I didn't even know that his nickname was Willie until you told me that. So the more the more secrets come out. I mean, even <laughs> Pat Falloon said he swore an oath to not say anything. So you know there's some good stuff out there about Doug. So... We'll see if that ever comes to fruition. But I think that does it for our final preseason, off-season, training camp episode of this hockey season. We're finally going to be able to next week talk about regular season Sharks, Shang Peng. It's been a long time, but yep. it's about damn time. So everyone, again, just a quick reminder, if you are going to the game, which I hope to see as many of you as I can, Shang will be waving from the rafters. Um, make sure you have your clear app set up. Make sure everything's taken care of on your uh, verification of vaccination on that side. Um, so that way we can speed up the process and there's uh, no one left kind of in a tizzy because we all want to enjoy the Sharks game together. So make sure you guys are all signed up for that. I think that pretty much wraps it up for us, Shang, unless you have something else for the folks to listen to or know. Anything coming up on San Jose Hockey Now? You're going to put a teaser out there for the listeners? Uh, just uh, the best Sharks coverage out there. Yep, that's undeniable. Can't, can't argue with that one. <laughs> that's going to do it for us today. Make sure that you all take care of yourselves, stay safe, and stay hydrated.